2: Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. For many of us, this year so far has been tough. As parents, we've had to cope with the fear of a pandemic, the uncertainty of what life will look like, the pressure of educating and looking after our children full time, and the disappointment that the things that they've been looking forward to, parties, holidays, the end of term, have all been canceled. Many of us feel, in spite of knowing it's not our fault, that we've let our children down. But my guests today have a different view about what children really need in life. Dr. Bettina Honan and Dr. Jane Gilmore, both clinical psychologists who specialize in working with children and young people, are the co-authors of The Incredible Teenage Brain. Talking during lockdown, they say, It's not trips to the cinema, the holidays or the shopping, all of which we can't give our children right now, that will make them happy and resilient in life. You have the greatest gift of all in the palm of your hands, which is your attention and willingness to be with them and in all their feelings this lockdown. Bettina and Jane, thank you so much for joining me today. I read this article and I was like, I have to have these guys on the podcast. (laughs) The brain is something that really fascinates me because it perplexes me at how my children... Children come up with these things and behave that way. I'd love to understand a little bit about brains, because I think I'd always assumed a brain is a brain. And of course, it develops. But I think it's really useful to understand how a child's brain and possibly a teenager's brain differs from the brains that we as parents have. What 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 do we need to know about the brain and how
0: that changes? Well, I'll take that one. I'm I'm Jane. You can tell I'm Jane from my Scottish accent. So there's an, identi- <laughs> an identifiable factor. Well, I mean, it's it's a really interesting thing to say. A brain is a brain, and yes, it is, and it has lots of um, aspects that are the same all the way through development. But there are also two very crucial times where its development is extraordinary, and toddlerhood and teenage years are those two periods of critical development. And it's a time where there's, there's an opportunity to learn at an astonishing speed. It's very soft and respondent to the environment. So that means that whatever's around in the environment, that toddler or that teen will take in with extraordinary capacity. It's, it's a term known as neuroplasticity. So it's in other words, you know, the, you can hear it in the word, the plastic capacity of the brain to change and mold in response to the environment and so there's lots of similarities between teenagers and toddlers in fact in terms of their capacity to learn their tasks are different of course so a toddler needs to learn to walk and to- you know learn to you know toilet independently for example but the brain is telling that toddler to achieve that task so for example we know that a toddler falls down on average 100 times a day when they're learning to walk they fall flat on their face, it really hurts, but they get up and they start again because their brain is driven to learn to walk. And in the teenage case, they slightly different tasks you know, becoming aware, becoming independent, self identity. So, there, there are lots of different tasks, but some similarities between those two states, as it were. And I think the message for us as parents, whether you've got a baby or whether you've got a teenager, is to think about you being the key part of the environment so that capacity and that opportunity to learn means that what you do and what you say has a major effect particularly i mean always through through childhood but particularly in, in teen and toddler years and it also means that that person or that young person or that toddler is vulnerable so if they don't get the good stuff at the right time then there is a vulnerability and a capacity perhaps to have longer standing issues. But of course, you know, this is, that's, a, that's a generalization. There are also ways around that, of course. So I think if we're thinking about teenagers in particular, you know, we were talking about this, uh, you know, moments ago, we as parents need to sort of up our game. When our young person moves into adolescence, we need to change how we think, how we act around that young person because their brain is different. We have to do things differently and we have to make the most of that opportunity for change. Yes, and you talked
2: I've, about the good stuff. You know, you talked about the importance of these times, the good stuff. What is the good stuff? Bettina, what, what, what do we mean by what can we do as parents? What is the important thing that we should be doing?
1: So, yes, gosh, I could talk for hours about that question. <laughs> I, I think the good stuff when we're talking in a developmental way is tuning into what they need at that time in their life. And that's really why parenting can feel so complex and we can often feel so out of our depth because they bring us something, they arrive and they require something from us, but it changes over time. And, you know, particularly when children go through these particular times of transformation, toddlerhood and teenage years being two particular times, they need very different things from us. And that can be very confusing for us as a parent. And if we get it wrong... Or if we get it right, let's, let's have a more positive spin on it. If we get it right, then we are really supporting positive kind of brain development. I mean, the thing about the brain actually also to remember is that we have this neuroplasticity for all of our lives. So we're all able to learn and develop. But the point is that at different times in childhood, our brain is focusing on different parts of the environment. Jane put it really well in the book when she said some, so during the teenage years, things change. So some things that we were really interested in as a younger child, maybe your child was really interested in, in art or some kind of activity, gym or something. And suddenly, you know, they don't want to do it anymore. And that kind of changes to black and white. And in Technicolor are these other things. It's like friendships you know, that becomes so much more important about autonomy, you know, all of the things that, that teenagers are doing. So the good stuff is attuning what we're giving to what the children need. And that is, you know, complicated. But that's And it's the not important a one size thing. fit all
2: either. It's not like it's we can really say not. your children will need this. You know, you read the parenting book and it says this. It's more about us being detectives and working out what they need.
1: Presented. Absolutely. Which is probably why there are so many hundreds of parenting books. Everyone's looking for a manual, right? Can you just give me a manual and tell me how to do this? There isn't yeah. a manual. But what we do know, and I think what this article that you picked up on is, 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 it really helps us to understand, is that we know a lot about what children need. So what we can do now, and well, I don't think a lot of this was available to our parents. We have a lot of kind of psychological research that helps us to understand A kind of process by which we can read our children's need if you see what I mean
2: yeah absolutely Mm. one of the things you talk about is attachment and attachment theory which I'm quite ashamed to say I never really sort of understood exactly what it was could you talk a little Mm. bit about what exactly attachment theory is and why it's so important to children especially in these in these parts of life
1: yeah so don't be ashamed it's a it's a psychological term
2: So it's really
1: over the last 80 80 years or so, developmental scientists have come to understand that children need at least one attuned caregiver to consistently read and respond to their emotional needs. So that's what they need. It's not a luxury, it's actually an essential requirement. And it was John Bowlby in this country actually, in about the 1930s, who put this, this theory together. And studies have gone on to show time and time again, how these important attachment relationships, they call them, our kind of attachment style that we get from our parents predicts success in so many ways in life, not only to do with our emotional and psychological health, but our relationships, our success, you know, in the work that we do, our kind of goals, how we achieve our goals in life. It seems to be crucially, crucially important. So this caregiver kind of helps the child they do many things, but they help, help the child to understand what they're feeling and teach them over time that emotions, difficult emotions are tolerable. And I think so the in the article, one of the things we talk about is Circle of Security, don't we? Yeah. Which is this parenting program that's been put together by three psychologists or psychotherapists from the States. So Kent Hoffman, Glenn Cooper and Bert Powell. And I want to mention their names because I just think it's so amazing what they've done, the work that they've done. And they've just developed a way of communicating this very complex idea of attachment in a really easy to access way. So there are these visuals, there are these concise phrases, and it means that many, many people can have access to this really kind of complicated theory.
0: And I think one of the interesting things about this theory, which and it is complicated, but it's one of the most interesting psychological theories that has had the greatest impact on so many things, like, for example, the capacity to stay with your child if they're in hospital came from the, that sort of set of, of, of findings. But the other thing to think about is that the thing that you're setting up as a caregiver with your young child in, in, in those early, early months and years, is a pattern that will they, they will come back to in times of stress, whatever age they are, even through adulthood. So we develop, the, the you know, our relationship that we develop with our main attachment figure is often seen in other aspects of life. And that's why it's such an important, it's like the bedrock of many aspects of, you know, particularly in stressful relationships, we revert to this pattern. And so, you know, one doesn't want to, you know, make this an issue that you have to get it right but it's if if you know if you're going to choose one thing (laughs) in parenthood Mm -hmm. this this attachment style would be would be your you know a a wonderful priority because it has such a lot so many implications throughout development
2: yeah, you talk about the parent, the idea of a parent being an, an emotional battery charger, which I thought was, <laughs> I really loved that kind of concept. It puts it into the sort of 21st century, but it, it absolutely makes sense. I find, you know, I found during lockdown, I've had more time just to be that emotional battery charger, just sit and listen and often do nothing with my children. And I feel that as a result, there is, there are less kind of dramas in their life. There are fewer, you know, emotional upheavals and they are, they feel more resilient emotionally.
0: and it's exhausting i think as a parent though i'm interested you know about you know if you are the battery charger you've got to find your your energy from somewhere else and it's a wonderful thing to do and as the adult that's our job but also to recognize as a parent you know it it takes some energy and some thinking and so you know to look after yourself in that way
2: it does but it's quite empowering to see the effect because it is really positive you know you it's difficult to be with their feelings as they, their feelings become a bit more complex. And, you know, there's this idea that we as parents want to fix things. You know, if they have a conflict in fr- friendship at school that we're like, right, we're going to go in and resolve this. And we're going to work out why she said that mean thing to you. But actually that sort of understanding that that is not the solution, but that, that that, that realisation that we can talk about these feelings and that actually everyone has these. I, I talk to my children a lot about, not about my feelings but I, I talk to them about when I was a child and the issues that I had and the embarrassing things that happened to me and the silly things that happened to me and the upsetting things that happened to me because I think it's quite an important process that they see someone who like they feel has their their stuff together as as children do to parents but you can you know emerge from these these difficult times and I feel that's quite a good way of showing them that you know it's not the end of the world when you know they get you know the friend doesn't want to invite them to the birthday party even though it it seems that at the time.
1: Yeah no absolutely that's so important what you're saying there And this idea of being with, it's not just physically being with, as you've picked up on, it's about our ability to kind of commit to, it's accepting and validating whatever our child is feeling, be that good or bad, be that painful or pleasurable, you know, be that exciting, you know, scary, whatever it is. And one of the concepts in Circle of Security is this idea that we have to organise our children's feelings. Children do not learn to organise their feelings by themselves. They need an adult alongside to learn how to do that first. We hold it for them. We organise their feelings of upset. And that's. And when, when you talk
2: about organising their feelings, like, mm. what do you mean? Is that just sort of saying, well, actually, we can let this one go because it doesn't really matter? Or, or, or have I got that mm. wrong?
1: Well, it's so it, it's a process. One of the things is naming it. And I think um, we talk about emotional literacy So the ability to understand the experience that you're having. So we all know the basic kind of five main emotions, you know, angry, happy, sad, scared, but you know, the basic emotions. But actually we have so many complex emotions going on. And if we can help our children to label them, to give a language to what they're experiencing, then they can understand it. So it's naming it and it's holding it, it's listening. So when they come to you and say, I mean, if you think about as an adult, right, if you go to your friend and, you know, at the moment you say, you just have a little moan and you say, I'm having the most terrible time. You know, I just can't find a job and it's just awful. What do you want your friend to say to you? Do you want your friend to say, well, have you thought about redoing your CV? Well, how many people have you applied for? Or do you want them to say, well, I mean, at least you have a house. I mean, at least you have an income. Or do you want them to say, wow, that sounds really tough? I... I can see that that's something that's really worrying you. You know, it's just a difference of are you trying to kind of fix it or resolve it and move through it quickly? Or are you willing to say, I can, to validate, to like empathize, to truly come alongside and go, that sounds like something you're really worried about?
0: Selling a little or a lot? And do you feel that like today
2: when we have social media and this kind of constant cult of perfection where we kind of have to be the best versions of ourselves the whole time and that's what we're seeing on you know, much more intimately, you know, first thing in the morning people look at Instagram or whatever, TikTok, whatever they're looking at and they see this bright, shiny, perfect image of their friends. Do you think the feeling that we, can't, we shouldn't be feeling sad or angry or frustrated or like we're a failure is less acceptable to a generation of sort of our generation of people that engage with social media than it was potentially for our parents' generation where we didn't have that added complication? Or is that just me trying to blame social media for yet another thing? I
0: think was an interesting question, actually. Although I do think, interestingly, we know that some, some major studies have looked at mental health across the nation. And what they found is there's probably a decrease in the stigma about saying, I don't feel good and I feel bad, and I, I think social media does have some wonderful things to offer i think it's got some potential you know areas of difficulty as a, you know as i'm sure we all agree so actually i wonder about you know there is there is a hashtag about the be kind and you know there's hashtags that do somehow start to push towards the idea that we're imperfect i think it's always a version so i think we have to be a, a, you know aware of that and i think that's one of the wonderful things you can do as a parent to talk about this as a version of somebody but i actually think there is a move towards society that the stigma about feeling bad and imperfect is actually somewhat dropping off i think there are other issues to to address but that idea about organizing is really important it's about asking your child to put everything out on the table and say look just keep talking <clears throat> tell me what it is why are you feeling what's happened. So you can sort out, you know, what's a feeling, what's a wish, what's a, what's a hope. It, this is a complicated, this is me at my ugliest, this is me at my jealous, mean, I'm sad because my friend had good luckness. But I'm going to show you as a parent, I love it all unconditionally, give me the lot and I will be here. And that's really what you're saying as a parent by that being with concept, whatever you've got, I'll be here. And that's a wonderful thing to offer your child whatever age they are. And those emotional intensity experiences that a teenager will have will be particularly valuable then for a number of you know, reasons that we can talk for hours. But you and I often talk for hours <laughs> It's what we do. But I think it's a really it's a really valuable opportunity to think about it that way.
2: And that you, I suppose also that you're interested in them, too. I think as as human beings, we often feel guilty about that sort of emotional download of, you know, if you go and speak to a friend and, and you're having a tough time, you think, oh, I don't want to put all this on you. But I think as a parent, just sort of <coughs> signaling to them that you've always got time for them to listen and it's not mm. boring. It's your biggest sort of pleasure in life that they confide in you. And actually, that is I always find when a, a friend talks to me about something that's happening that's tough in their life it's it, it is actually a real compliment that they value my friendship enough to to present this imperfect version of themselves to me i find it a real accolade actually mm. yeah, absolutely yeah. i think it's very you know it's, and, and it's a great thing really. to say
0: even if you don't know what to say you can always say i'm so glad you told me give them the signal that it's good to talk whatever it is you're bringing bring it home you know we always say bring your mistakes home bring your bring your mm-hmm. every aspect that you've got bring it home because i'm here to to hear it
2: So this idea of being with, how does it work with toddlers? Because obviously they have fewer words. They have, you know, a less of an ability to communicate verbally, at least. How does, what, what would you, how would you be with your toddler? What does that involve?
1: Well, so I think, you know what, it's really interesting when we talk about it, because in some ways it's, it is deceptively simple. And yet it can actually be quite hard to implement. And there are various reasons for that. So if we take different types of emotion, I think it illustrates it quite well. So let's take sadness, for example. So our child comes to us, maybe a toddler comes to us, they're in floods of tears, they're falling on the floor and they say, my friend hit me, right? So they're feeling really sad. So as a parent, first of all, we have to, if we empathize with somebody, we feel a little bit of what they're feeling. Now that is painful. If our child is in pain, that is painful for us. So the first thing we need to be able to do is to kind of manage that ourselves. And we might be tempted to go over to the other child and say, don't hit my child. Or we kind of look to the other parent, don't we, to say to their parents, say sorry, or something like that. And that is a trying to make it better, actually. So these are the things that make it hard. But what it would look like in that moment is to just hug your child and to say, that looks really painful. I can really see that that hurt you. Wow, that, you know, that, that's just really tough. That's what being with is. Now, there might be a point at which you talk to the other child. Maybe there's a point at which the other child says sorry. But actually, I don't really believe in forcing kids to say sorry in that moment anyway, because it's completely meaningless. I think if you, you know, I think so if we now put ourselves in, in the position of the other child, right, the child who hit, that child was feeling angry. Now can we come alongside anger? So when we're angry, we often behave in a way that's inappropriate. So if we see our child hit another child, we want to go up to them and say, "Don't hit. That's an unkind thing to do." But also we're not being with them in that moment. We and it's really possible to say to a child, "It's not okay to hit, but I can see you're feeling really angry." So you're labeling it, you're giving them an emotion an understanding a language for what's happening. You're not accepting the bad behaviour, but you're helping them to understand. Does that make sense?
2: It does. And part of me thinks, I mean, obviously kindness is really, really important and attention is something that children crave. Is there not a danger that by indulging them with your attention that you're encouraging this bad behaviour, that the child who maybe is really craving its caregiver's attention is going to be incentivized to hit a lot because he knows that whenever or she... You know, uh, hits they get that attention that they're craving, or or have I got that completely wrong?
0: <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, it, the the key thing here is about allowing them to figure out their feeling. And actually, we know that if you try and squash that or quash it by saying, you know, get out of the room, uh, you know, you've got time out or whatever, then actually they are not having the capacity to figure out what it is that's going on and we know that emotional literacy has enormous benefits you know going forward you know the capacity to think and have self-reflection as a as a young child or into adulthood is a wonderful task and as a key to sort of well-being in, in a general sense as well as specific mental health protection so you can do two things at once you can absorb and consider the emotion and say these are your targets to go forward about you know be kind and you know when you're angry what else could you do when you're angry can you use your words you know rather than your fists and so on as for a toddler and to try and help them also think about where the emotion comes you know i use lots of things like emojis i often use emojis with younger kids Know, what face you know fits how you feel where do you feel it do you feel it inside in your chest do you feel your hands tingle is it anxiety start to think about that because actually that attention is not reinforcing the negative behavior that attention is figuring out what the emotion is and that young person will be far more well integrated and able to you know engage with the world in a positive way because of that attention if that makes sense
2: yeah mm. how important is the kind of hug? I find that sometimes my children would come to me just frustrated and angry and and we'd just have a big hug and mm. that sometimes worked, you know, alongside words really well. Is, is that something that, that we should be using?
1: Well, I think children are different. Some children will want to hug. I Other children wouldn't want to hug. I don't think that's the key thing. I think it's something, there's something maybe about your physical presence, but actually... Even if you've got a child who is completely out of control, let's say you have a child who's hitting you, who's throwing things around, you know, so it's anger underneath, you know that there's anger, right? The behavior is showing you that. You don't want to reinforce the behavior. And you also don't want to get hit. That's not okay. But there is even a way of being with where you're not there. So you would say to the child, you, I can see you are really angry right now. It's not okay to hit me. I'm going to go outside the room. So you take yourself out of the room. You don't put them in a room. Time out is you go in a room, organize your feelings, come back when you've organized them. The unhelpful mm-hmm. thing about that is that kids will not learn how to do that by themselves. But anyway, in this situation, so I would take take yourself out of the room, say, I'm going to come back in a minute and then let's see if we're able to talk through it then. So you keep coming back. You pop your head around the door. Five minutes, they throw a shoe at you. You go, okay, you're not ready yet. I'm going to come back in five minutes. So that's another way of being with. You're still saying, look, this behavior is not okay, but I can see that there's something's going on underneath. And I am interested in what you're experiencing. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean it am mm-hmm. about the physical proximity question because as Bettina says you know all kids are different some kids like a hug and also you want to time your hug as well Some you can some, you do that too early and go in you ha- might have to withdraw and just say not not yet so it's about reading that too but the idea of physical proximity is really interesting because we know it's one of, in fact, it's one of team's very favourite experiments, isn't it? <laughs> <To be honest. laughs> yes. But we know that individuals who who are, you know, obviously they've they've chosen to take part in this experiment and they're aware of what happens, but basically they've learned that they're about to get an electric shock. It's not a horrible, you know, it's a horrible one, but it's not dangerous, obviously. And we know that if they have a trusted and loved one next to them in the scanner holding their hand, their anticipation of that shock and their fear centers in their brain react differently so in other words literally the presence of somebody else that you love around makes us feel better as a you know as a you know in the human race it's what happens and actually I was thinking about this the other day when I watched our dog you know my my kid wasn't feeling great and the dog came and sat right next to her now, the dog didn't say anything, the dog didn't have capacity to, you know, put their arms around or anything, just sat right there. And it you could see the you know, it's a wonderful thing to watch. You can see that it absorbs because it's just being with. And that's literally, I mean, it's almost you know mm. the perfect example of not actually doing anything, just being there. And it absorbs some of that emotion and it forms a comfort. So I think there is something about physical proximity when it's appropriate, as Bettina says. I think it has an enormous power and you don't need to say anything. It's just about being there. You know, I've got you, whatever. Mm. I was just going to say, you know the film Inside Out? Do
2: you know that film? Yes, 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 I do. It's the most wonderful film and they
1: have the most fantastic clip in it of being with. And so that one of the toys basically has lost something. So you remember Joy is in a blue dress no, joy is in a yellow dress. Sadness is in a blue dress. There's a reason for this. Sorry, just tell you the story. So the, the toy has lost something. The toy is really sad. Joy comes up to the toy and say, and he's crying and Joy says, oh, come on, you know, let's have fun. Here comes the tickle monster and tries to kind of cheer him up and it doesn't work. And then sadness comes along and just sits next to him and says, that must have been really tough. You really enjoyed that time together. You're going to really lose that thing. The, the toy cries and then he gets up and he moves off. And i got to tell you, I've got a, a teenage daughter of 20, well, she's 22 now. And it, a, a few months ago, she, was, she came back. She'd been out with her boyfriend and she said, oh, it was so irritating. He's really, he was really anxious today. And I was really, oh, God, why can't he be like that? And I thought to myself, oh, my goodness, my daughter is not able to be with him. So I showed her this clip. And she watched this clip and she's a singer and she's written a song. And the song says, you needed me to, i was in my yellow dress and you needed me to wear blue. <laughs> and It's such a lovely kind of example of that. Yeah, it's just, it's just so fundamental to our human experience and we all need it from each other. And because we want to fix things and make things better, we often don't give it to each other.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. And obviously, you know, when when children become teenagers, they often become less communicative. You know, your toddler generally wants to be around you as as a parent. They're sort of like your biggest fan, which can get a little bit annoying sometimes too. But then as they kind of advance towards adolescence, they need and they seem to need you less. They seem to want you less. How do you... How, how do you focus on being with your teenager if they don't really want to be with you? <laughs>
0: yeah, that's a, such an interesting question. And actually, I think, I mean, the one of their tasks, and we were talking about tasks right at the beginning, is to become independent. Their job is to separate from you. And that's, you know, as a parent, there's all sorts of complicated feelings about that. But your job is to be redundant, basically. And that's your success story. They do need you even more But in a different way, and that's the kind of gear shift that we do. We need to do as as parents to teenagers. So it's about allowing them some space and some freedom, and understanding that their connections with their peers are of utmost importance because that's their future community. So basically, they're learning how to be in the future community. So they've got to figure out where they land in their peer group. So that's good stuff. You know, we're talking about good stuff. That's you want to see that preoccupation with peers, you want to see that because that's a part of of their developmental process to make them a good community member basically, they're figuring out what they need to do to be accepted by the community. So part of that can feel that they are using your comfort in a different way, but they definitely need you. you. It's about reading your teenager and it can be very confusing because they don't quite have the same signals that a toddler might do. They might be acting out or grumpy. They might come in and slam the door and be really irritable. But that might be a signal. I've had a bad day and I need you. So... I wouldn't say in the moment, because in the moment, it's very hard to have these conversations. But I would, you know, I would try and figure out some sort of way of out of the moment, say, you know, you know, I need to know how to be with you. Now, it might be that you stand outside the door. It might be that you knock on the door and say, I can see you're, you know, you're not feeling great. There are all sorts of ways of reading that and allowing them to know that there's a time to talk and allowing them to know that you're alongside them. But it's more complicated, and I don't think Matine and I would pretend that this is easy because it's not. It's harder to be a teenager. It's
1: really hard. I think it really requires a lot of patience when you have a teenager because it's not on your terms, it's on their terms. You know, you pick a child up from school and you say, How was your day? and they grunt at you, Fine. And you think, Well, they're not talking to me. But then later on, when you're just hanging around doing the cooking, They're going to drop something in and now is your moment to pick up on it and tell you something. You know, so it's about waiting until they're ready, being patient. If you it's about reading their need. Right. So they come in, they're grumpy and you say to yourself, "Okay, they've struggled with something today. You know, they're not a bad kid. They're not a grumpy kid. That's what we tend to go. Oh, my God. How are they ever going to get through in life if they're so grumpy? But read the need and go, okay, I can see they're really struggling. And you might say something like, you know, I don't know, I you know, wonder if you've had a tough day. If you want to talk about it at some point, you know I'm here. That's, all, that's being with
0: and and those mm-hmm. nonverbal signals are so important, particularly, in fact, in, in the teenage years, because we know that they are very attuned to these nonverbal signals, like, you know, where your eye contact is. And I think somebody in your, maybe you actually in the podcast talked about putting the laptop lid down when when their child comes into the room. That's a brilliant signal mm. because the teens are so attuned to these nonverbal signals for lots of uh, really interesting reasons that we won't go into now. But they are so socially attuned so if you can show that you don't have, again it's not even about what you say it's your demeanor turning and facing them put your pen down put your phone down and just wait and that's really hard and the you know fast pace of life but you you know that will allow them to know that you're there and that you're ready to listen. Mm.
2: Yeah, I mean, I always find with my children, it's much easier to talk when we're sort of doing something. So we might be gardening or washing the dog or, you know, doing something that they want to do, whether it's, you know, colouring or building lego or whatever it is it just that often helps that but walking actually because there's something weird when you're walking silences seem to be more acceptable and there seem to be a lot of silences when your children reach adolescence which I mean we're socially sort of engineered to feel uncomfortable in those silences but those silences presumably are really really important
1: yeah, and also, and driving is another one, particularly with teens. I mean, I would drive my kids anywhere because those were the best conversations. Because you don't have the distraction of all of these social cues that teenagers are so kind of tuned into as they're working out, as their social brain is kind of on fire. They don't have to look into your eyes and th- and think, "What did what did she mean by that little?" You know, when and they she can't blinked. get away either, and like, yeah, I can't. No, that's right. <laughs> they're absolutely. locked in exactly. <laughs> But you know, tolerating the
0: silence is part is part of being with. And sometimes, yeah. you know, you know, obviously you don't want to sit in silence eye to eye, and and you know. But but actually, sitting with the silence sometimes that will give the opportunity to say something that's hard to say. Um, it's a so bit like the dog, dog, isn't it? Yeah, it is like the dog. Our <laughs> dog's not very chatty. I don't know about yours, but, <laughs> but you know, and that's wonderful. You know, it's it's got a comfort. Well, it, it,
2: It explains a lot because my children definitely now prefer the dog to me. I feel that there's this sort of circle of, like, the dog is, like, constantly clamoring for my attention. I'm clamoring for my children's attention and the children are clamoring for the dog's attention. But maybe it's that she's better at being with them in sort of silence and there's that sort of ultimate acceptance, like, you know, she's not going to go, God, I wish you were better at your eight times table. Mm. You know, it really doesn't care. And maybe that's the kind of uncomplicated relationship that they're craving.
1: Yeah and also we have to remember that they care about how we feel. So if our if we if if our child tells us something and and we are shocked by it and we show, show that shock that has an effect on them. You know so we have to be so careful about how you respond when your child says something to you because if it's too over the top then they're going to pull back and go wait a minute that's really had a bad effect on them. They don't want to you know, upset us in any way. They're very, we are the most important thing to them. So that's really true. They're looking at us as much as we're looking at them.
0: <laughs> I, I sometimes hear parents say, particularly in a therapeutic situation, if a young person says something hard, like I don't want to go to school or I hate my life, they might respond with, don't say that. They're literally finding mm. it hard to hear something that's painful in their child's life. I mean, for mm. because they love their child, obviously but literally trying to 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 stop the words coming out because it's hard to hear as a parent is something to avoid and the opportunity to speak and say keep talking keep telling me is mm. is very useful but sometimes be aware that you might hear things that are hard to absorb as a parent it could be painful and you may have to act it before you can become it you may have to you know although you may have fear in your very core, thinking, I don't know quite what I'm hearing, you may have to just be the grown-up here and say, okay, we're going to figure this out, keep talking. You may not feel that, but it's important as an adult to allow the child to feel safe to say whatever they need to say.
1: And just to say that that is different, this is not about, as a parent, don't have any emotions. So have emotions about yourself. And as you discussed at the beginning, you know, it's absolutely appropriate to talk about your own emotional experience. So you normalize it. What we're talking about here is how you react to what they bring you that can have, you know, that you need to be careful of. Does that make sense? There's a a slight
2: difference. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, all of this takes time, you know, children, you know, you don't have like 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 with other adults you know we've got an hour to have this podcast we're going to have a really constructive conversation in an hour and I know that you guys will deliver we can't can't engage with our children like that especially with this sort of concept of being with and as you said in the article you know lockdown was the perfect opportunity to actually spend a significant amount of time without any sort of a time frame with our children but obviously lockdown is not going to last forever we will revert to our busy lives and and I'm also aware that you know I'm very lucky I do get to spend quite a lot of time with my children because I work from home and I prioritize the time that they're not in school. But if you are a, a working mother who has to or a working parent who, who does have to spend a lot of time working, how do you maximize the time with your children in order to sort of maximize the benefit of sort of being with when you do have that time constraint?
1: And this is really about the quality. Actually it's not about quantity, it's about the quality of time when you're with them. So. It's really possible, for example, a lot of parents right now during lockdown will be working at home. So they're going to be on a, phone, on, the, on a Zoom call like this and their child will have needs. Now, if their child has a need, there's a difference between saying, go away, I'm working and saying, I can see you're really struggling with that. I can't deal with it now, but later on, I really want to hear about it. It's a, it's a subtle difference. It takes the same amount of time, but it makes a massive difference. And then later on, making sure that you really make time. I think what's really important is having time when you don't have your phone. I mean, preferably nobody has their phone around them. You know, that, that ability to maybe you have an hour or two in the day, or if you only have an hour with your child, put your phone in a locked box somewhere and spend that time with them. So it really is about the quality. It's not about the quantity. I always think... You know, if if parents come to me and they're struggling, one of the thir- first things that I might almost prescribe, not that I'm a psychiatrist, I'm a psychologist, we don't prescribe, but if there was a medicine, it would be 15 minutes a day, if that's all you can manage. It's every night, it's the same time, it is time when you are just there for your child. It's so, so powerful. It doesn't have to be loads of time, but it's the quality when you're with them.
0: I think it's, I mean, it's such an important, it's such a wonderful thing to do. I, I mean. you know I always use that word as well prescribe even if you can't think of anything to say some parents who I don't know quite what to do with my 15 minutes take some old baby photos and say look you are gorgeous look or or it doesn't matter what it is if there's nothing particularly to say it's not about that it's just about I'm here for you and you can lie in silence for 15 minutes on their bed at night I'm here Mm. you know it doesn't it doesn't have to be all singing all dancing it's about the point is it's your time to do whatever you like with i think the other thing to think about about you know with with lockdown and you know having very very for some families it has been busier than ever and you know finding that 15 minutes if you're a working mom particularly if you're home trying to homeschool and you know with lots of families are homeschooling and working at home and you know taking a lot of tasks that they weren't before so it's incredibly busy maybe even busier than before is about finding time to, to have fun together. And I think this is a really important thing. So whatever your kid is doing, you know, can you do it too? So for example, you know, teaching mum to play, you know, a computer game is brilliant. Learning to a TikTok, there's been a, you know absolute craze of that across the internet, which I think is brilliant because you are allowing your kid to be the expert. They're teaching you something which they absolutely love. You're joining in. You're playing together, essentially, like you used to do as a, as a maybe when they were tiny, and you're having fun together. Okay, and it is, you know, I think there is something to be said for that about just enjoying them, whatever they're doing. Now, if you have to make a fool of yourself, that's fine, and in fact, probably mm-hmm. icing on the cake for teams in many ways. <laughs> but be, you know, res- respecting <clears throat> and responding to their activity by saying, "Can I join in too?" is often a really nice way to be with there are all sorts of ways of of delivering that
2: and i presume i mean one of the things i feel i'm going to take away from lockdown is that you know this time is it just having that time is so lovely and i think that i was certainly guilty of overscheduling my children you know often they mm. wouldn't finish till seven o'clock in the evening and then they've got to eat and go to bed but actually you know their, their online schooling finished at three and it meant we had nothing else there was no you know, I don't know, guitar lesson or netball or whatever it was. And it was just lovely to have five hours at the end of the day where it could be us. And I know that's not possible for everyone if you are required to be in the office. But at the same time, I see so many people, they work really hard because they feel that they need to earn the money to give the kids what they want. And going back to the quote that I read right at the beginning of this episode, What they want is not more holidays and Mm. more PlayStations or whatever it is. It is your time and it probably is worth a pay cut if you're in a, you know, if that is going to be viable, you know, rather than sort of thinking, well, they'll never forgive me if we don't take them skiing this year.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think the other opportunity of lockdown is that actually people have not had an escape. And when things are difficult, we do tend to run away we've all had to stick with it. And it's been such an opportunity to really work through those difficult family dynamics. And I, you know, I remember a time when my kids were younger, feeling quite overwhelmed by a day with them, you know, thinking, oh my God, you know, what are we going to do? And also what if it goes wrong? You know, there's going to be jealousies. What if they hit each other and you, but actually sticking with it and pushing through is just so, so valuable for everybody. And it's always possible to push through those dynamics. It always is. I think some parents think, oh, I've messed it up. And, you know, it's all gone wrong. And I haven't done this right. There's no point now. A parent of a 17 year old said to me yesterday, is it too late? It's not too late. It's absolutely not too late. Making these changes. In fact, a conversation with, I don't know, with even as an adult, with your elderly parent can be really helpful in kind of they talk about rupture and repair in attachment theory ruptures happen in relationships it's all about the repair and repair can happen at any time in life so yeah it's never too late (laughs)
2: yeah i mean even actually i've heard so many families doing podcasts and starting to do podcasts and that's such a such a nice way of communicating regardless of whether or not it gets published but also for posterity if imagine if we could listen to our great grandparents having conversations Mm. you know 100 years ago what a joy that would be yeah it's it, it is fascinating i'd love to just finish on you know if we are great parents and we spend loads of time being with our children What personality traits are we going to see emerging as they emerge into adulthood?
0: I'm not sure I would say personality traits because I think our personality traits, you know, there are some things that we, you know, are are enduring. But what I would think is that you would develop some really important skills, the capacity to recognise and understand feelings means that you can self-regulate much more effectively it means that you will be much better able to engage in a relationship, which we know is the greatest protective factor for well-being and mental health over all other factors. Well, it's also the best thing in life. I
2: mean, falling in love is like the yeah. best <laughs> thing ever.
0: Can't get better than that. So, you're, you, you know, the capacity to develop these, that emotional capacity, that self-understanding allows a young person to engage with the rest of society in a much more fulfilling way for them, actually. Mm-hmm. So I think that that would, be That's a, that would be a wonderful thing to give your, you know, the gift that keeps on giving, as, as
1: they say. Mm. And, and, you know, I think we're always saying to our kids, there's a big thing at the moment, isn't there, about follow your passion, do what you love. But I'm not sure that in education we spend much time helping them find out who they are and what they love. And actually, this is all about helping them to understand who they are. What is it that makes them tick? You know, everybody is completely different. And if they have that self-understanding and that self-acceptance, then that is when you have a, you know, a, a satisfying life in a way, isn't it? And so many people, I think, struggle with that in their 20s and in their 30s. And then often, you know, we talk about the midlife crisis, don't we? When people say, wait a minute, I've been doing it wrong. I've been doing what I was supposed to do. I didn't really understand myself. So I think all of this is all about giving them that self-understanding. Yeah. Which will keep on giving.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Do you think, I mean, obviously, I I don't think my parents ever had this conversation with anyone. I don't Mm. think, I mean, I don't even know the concept of being with was around 40, 30 years ago. Do you think we're going to see our generation of children growing up in in a very different way. Do you think the world, when it's ruled by children not ruled, but you know, mm. uh, controlled by people who who are really in touch with these uh, emotions and have you know a high level of emotional literacy, will look
0: will look different?
1: Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? I would
0: hope so. <laughs> I mean, it is, it's a really interesting thing. I mean, the idea that you know the, the the parenting practices you know that even a few generations ago that we we are horrified by and kids survived and they were okay. But, you know, we are really, you know, we know that this, there's a science now behind what we can offer as a parent. We know what, you know, we, we can look into an MRI scanner and see how distress decreases when a loved one is alongside. We, we've got a sort of certainty in some ways about some of the instinctive um, ideas that, that, that some parents might have had. And so I hope that we'll have, you know, a much higher level of emotional literacy with all the wonderful things that come with that, you know, an increased civilization connection, understanding, empathy, you know, mm-hmm. I think the world is, broadly speaking, you know, pandemic aside, getting a better place, mm-hmm. it is more accepting, there's a lot of work to do. So, um, you know, we would hope that we would be headed in that direction and, and that our grandchildren get some fantastic parenting. <laughs> And I think, you know, there
1: have been, <laughs> been many downsides to lockdown, I'm sure everybody would say, but I think one of the upsides is that certainly in education, if you look at the conversation around education now, it is about when we come back, we need to think about well-being. And there's a lot of talk about connection, there's a lot of talk about relationships, about this concept of empathy which really wasn't there before. So I feel like we've had a little boost from lockdown in terms of really thinking about what children need in these emotional ways. So it'll push us forward, I hope, a bit quicker.
2: I love the optimism. We have so much negativity around, oh my God, the economic effects of of Mm. lockdown. So it's so lovely to have this conversation you know which is shrouded in positivity rather than negativity yeah it's very empowering for us parents who definitely don't feel like we're doing it right the whole time so thank mm. you both so much I've really really enjoyed chatting to you this uh, this morning oh, um uh, your book The Incredible Teenage Brain is available and I also love your blog which is also called The Incredible Teenage Brain so mm-hmm. that's a great resource for kind of conversations like this so mm-hmm. so please do have a look is there any uh, do you are you on Instagram or where can people follow you? I think often Instagram for sort of little bite-sized snippets of this kind of thinking is, is really lovely highlight yeah. of my day, certainly.
0: Well, we do. We have, in fact, we've, we've got a Twitter feed, which is at the Incredible Convo, as in short for conversation. We have an Instagram feed, which is Incredible Conversation and a Facebook feed, which is the same, Incredible Conversation. We have a podcast, Right now, we're just moving over to Incredible Conversation, but it was Incredible Conversations. We must get that right. We'll give you the proper information Mm -hmm. because it'd be great for people to to listen to our podcast, which is essentially this. This is Bettina and I talk, and sometimes we record it and make a podcast, and sometimes (laughs) it's just what we, you know, we we talk all the time about this, so we, we do that. And our website, Bettina, is that now...
1: Incredible conversation, yeah. So we're moving it all over actually to incredible conversation because you know, we, we've written a book about the teenage brain, we're writing another book which is about kind of preteens, about how to strengthen this your relationship with a preteen and also about kind of other kinds of connections. So, yeah, it's it's I, a, I it's really a need that book before
2: my child gets into the yeah. sort of teenage.
0: <laughs> so, hurry up and write that book. Our I deadline is Christmas, it. and we are. Focusing well, on, our on our way. Way. <laughs> We are we <we've> got other <laughs> We did have a meeting with our editor yesterday. She asked how it was and we said we had to go but we could meet <laughs> we ran out of time unfortunately to talk about the progress. But we'll get there. We we wrote the the last one in a very concentrated time, we will do the same thing. Well, I can't wait to read
2: it. And maybe when that's out, you'll come back onto the podcast and we can have a conversation about pre Because actually, I think that's often a, a group of, of children that get overlooked. You know, there's the sort yeah. of toddlers and then the children and then the teenagers. And, it's, and the, oh, I think, you know, the pre-teen and, is, yeah. is quite challenging. And it's a,
1: yeah, but, and it's a great opportunity to set things up for when the teenage years come and it's more complicated, so... Oh, Marina, thanks so much for having us. I've really enjoyed talking to you.
2: I can talk all morning to you both. So thank you so much. Um, And thank you all for downloading another episode of The Parenthood. You can subscribe, rate and review us wherever you get this podcast from. You can also follow me on Instagram. I'm Marina.Fogel. But in the meantime, from Bettina, Jane and me, thanks for listening and goodbye.